Bless you. All right, good evening. It's good to be in the Lord's house, and uh, I do have a clock in front of me. I know how to read it, but sometimes I'm not real good at it, and we get a little long. And Anyway, I know the weather is on the way this evening, supposed to be, uh, uh, so we'll try to be mindful of that and uh, not, not keep us until there's a foot on the ground. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but uh, anyway... It's good to be here. appreciate the good day today. And I'd like for us to turn our Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm 131. Psalm 131. And uh, I'm grateful to be here in these days and uh, thankful, uh, thankful to know that uh, you've prayed for me. And I uh, trust that at times, even as I'm preaching, some of you are praying and uh, I think you'll rejoice to know also that uh, there are uh, brethren praying uh, all over the country for us right now. And I know some in North Carolina, some in Kentucky, uh, some in Oklahoma, some in Arkansas, and uh, uh, Ohio, you said? Okay, all right. And so uh, a, number of, a number of brethren praying for the services and I'm grateful for that. I know the Lord has His way, and uh, God's sovereign. And I remember sometime back, Austin and I were talking, and he he spoke about the mystery that prayer is, and and it really is. Uh, God, uh, we know, is going to do what God does, and I'm not going to stand in the way of it, or or uh, I'm probably not going to assist him in it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, he, he bids us to call upon Him, to ask Him, to seek His face. And uh, even in one place tells us that we have not because we ask not. And uh, I may not understand all the mystery of it, uh, but I uh, know that we can pray and believe that God hears us and that He will answer us. And... Uh, it's also a joy when we're not even asking just to enter into His presence and into His company. And uh, think about that just for a moment, that the God of heaven allows us to speak to Him, to know Him, and we don't have to go before Him with uh, shamefacedness. We can come boldly to the throne of grace knowing that we have a Savior, a mediator, and he hears us, and uh, a lot about that. But I'm grateful for prayer. Grateful for the prayer meeting last night and uh, uh, tonight as well. And just trust that the Lord is uh, hearing us. One thing's for certain: if He's burdening our heart to pray, He is drawing us closer to Himself. Amen. Yes. Amen. Psalm 131. I'll ask you to stand and. Uh, if you've probably already noticed, there are only a few verses, and so you will not stand for very long. <laughs> but uh, I really felt the Lord put this on my heart a couple of days ago. I, I, I have just not been able to get away from it. Psalm 131, a song of degrees of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, 
nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Father, we come before you again this evening thanking you for uh, this gathering. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for the privilege to open your word together, to seek your face together, to fellowship together. And uh, Lord, uh, it's certain that this evening that uh, every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above and uh, from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We know you are the same every day. Every moment we come before you, we know that we have uh, the same welcome that you've offered to us in times past, and that is uh, only through the righteousness of your Son, the Lord Jesus. I pray you help us tonight, Lord. My heart's a little unsettled. I pray that you'll uh, just uh, help me to say what needs to be said, speak to our hearts emphasize what needs to be emphasized to each one as only you can and uh, Lord I will do my best to step back and give you all the honor and glory for anything that's done in Jesus name amen I love this psalm and uh, it is one of the 15 songs of degrees as is the heading and uh, these begin in uh, Psalm 120 and go through Psalm 134 and really if you look through them you could uh, give a subject to each of these songs that are mentioned and uh, beginning in Psalm 120 I think that is a, a psalm of hearing and Psalm 121 is, is a song of help Are any of you familiar with Psalm 121. And uh, then Psalm 122, a, a psalm of gladness, a psalm concerning the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 123 is a psalm of patience. And psalm 124 of reflection. Psalm 125, I would say, is a psalm of stability. Psalm 126, uh, the word may not have the... the most innocent connotation in our day, but it is a psalm of ecstasy of God's people elevated to heights of worship. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then said the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. And then in ecstasy, they said, yes, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Psalm 127 is a psalm of recognition, recognizing we can do nothing without the Lord, for except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 128 is a psalm of blessing, Psalm 129 of protection. Our preceding psalm is a psalm of forgiveness, Psalm 130 says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I love that psalm. Our psalm for this evening, it is a song of contentment. 
Psalm 132, I might as well finish up. There's only three more. The Psalm of Promise, that great Psalm, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. A Psalm of Unity. And then Psalm 134 is simply a, a song of worship. Lift up your hands, bless the Lord in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. And so these are not necessarily uh, the correct descriptions of these songs, but these are the things that stand out to me. In Psalm 131 of the songs of degrees, it is, it is a song of contentment. And that is seen in these words, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Song of contentment. There are three thoughts, one for each verse. I may not get through the third one because the second thought will be, I, I trust, the meat of the message. But, uh, the three thoughts I would leave you with this evening, verse number one, is the thought of humility. Verse number two, a thought of happiness. And verse number three, a thought of hope. It's much like the hymns that we sing today. Every stanza does not always say the exact same thing. This psalm almost coincides perfectly with what we just sang. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I am as a weaned soul before God, just from sin and self to cease. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's consider first of all this first verse, first stanza. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. I was reading after one man, I believe it was Thomas Manton, who said that uh, this statement in and of itself seems to scream pride. When the psalmist said, Lord, my heart is not haughty. Uh, but I, I don't think that is the case at all. I dif disagree a lot of times with commentators, and that's another instance of it. But I, I do not think that this is a proud statement that the psalmist is making. Consider the writer and how at times we read also in this Hebrew songbook uh, words like these, Search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. These are the words of an individual who has laid himself bare before God and has said, Lord, cleanse my heart of any pride. And I believe as the people of God, when we seek forgiveness of sins and seek to have our eyes open even under the hidden sins of our heart, that our God is faithful to point those things out to us, to help us to see them, and then to truly turn away from them and get help with them. Now, pride is a deadly sin. And I don't know that there are seven deadly sins. I'm not sure who came up with that one. I've never found that in any verse in my King James Bible rightly divided. But it is a great and a dangerous sin. It is a sin that plagues every one of us in some way or another. I would go as far in my opinion to say that 
All sin is a product of pride in the heart. Pride that says, I I don't have to obey God who created me. I don't have to obey God who gave me life. What could that come from other than a place of pride? It shows up in a lot of different ways. It is hidden under a lot of different bushes in our life. I'm not going to give you examples or instances of the different ways that pride shows up, but we know that it is within our hearts. At least from time to time it pops up. But I want you to consider just for a second the boldness of this statement. How could anyone dare to say, Lord, my heart is not haughty. It's as though he is saying, I think I know my heart. None of us really know our heart. But I believe this statement stems from, first of all, laying himself bare before God and saying, search me out. Show me if there be in me any wicked way. And then also from a place of self-examination. Do any of us enjoy (laughs) self-examination? Not a whole lot. We we really just kind of want to go about our business and not be bothered about our faults, our struggles, our failures. Uh, But the truth of it is we'll never see those things that need to be repented of in our own lives if we don't examine ourselves. God in His grace gives meetings like this for times of examination and other things. And I won't go on with that. But but, uh, these words come from one who has searched his own heart, has sought God to seek out uh, the sins in his heart to repent of. And he says, not just to his fellow man, I'm not haughty. I'm not lifted up in pride. But he says before God, Lord, my heart is not haughty. You know me. You see where I'm at. You know that I've been humbled before you. There are a lot of dangers of pride and you'll find those littered throughout the Word of God. The greatest of which I think is is stated in the book of James where it just simply said, God resisteth the proud. That is the best way to have the hand of God against you is to be lifted up in pride. My heart is not haughty, shows up in a lot of ways. He goes on and he speaks of one of those ways, nor mine eyes lofty, the lofty eyed. And I was interested to find that there were several verses in the Word of God that mentions uh, the idea of pride and the lofty eyes in the same verse, in the same truth. This speaks of a pride in some ways that could be seen on the countenance of a person. Have you ever just looked at someone that's smacked of pride? Sometimes it is seen in their strut. Amen. (laughs) Sometimes it is seen all over their countenance as they are so lofty-eyed, they look with disdain upon those who are beneath them in their estimation. Uh, Sometimes this idea of being lofty-eyed could mean looking at those who are above them. In the faith, positionally, on the job, or in the family, whatever the case may be. And in jealousy, desiring to have what they have because they are so proud, they feel that they should be recognized like this individual is. But the psalmist said, my heart's not haughty. Mine eyes are not lofty. Some of the verses, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Psalm 101, verse number 5, Proverbs 21, verse 4 
Proverbs 30 and verse number 13 give us this same concept of pride being followed up with lofty eyes and high looks. This is more than just looking at yourself in vanity, but also looking down your nose at other people. It would do every one of us well this evening to remember that we truly are, if we are anything at all, it is by the grace of God. There is nothing good about any one of us in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And apart from the Savior, there is no boasting that we have at all in this life whatsoever before God. But we do boast in our Savior. We're grateful that He loved us and gave Himself for us. He died for my sins and He stands as my intercessor even at this very moment. And my boast is in Him and my rejoicing is in Him. It is not in myself. And uh, we do have rejoicing in Him. We should keep our eyes fixed upon Him. The psalmist, it is a song of degrees of David. He has seen the lofty eyed throughout his life. He has seen it in his family. He saw it with his brother Eliab or Eliab, whichever way you pronounce it. And uh, his brother looked down upon David with disdain. I believe at least from the scriptures from the time that Samuel came and anointed David as the one in the family which would be the next king over Israel. We know without a doubt he looked on him in pride when he was out at the battlefield and David began to inquire about Goliath and what would happen to the one who slew the giant. And Eliab looked at him and said, I know you and I know the naughtiness of your heart and you've come out to espy the battle. And he somewhat shoes his little brother away. (laughs) He has seen lofty eyes and haughty hearts. He saw it in Saul. He saw it in his wife. When David danced before the Lord and worshipped God with his whole heart and his whole being and how in pride his wife would look at him and say, you have made a fool of yourself and that in front of all of the people. The lofty-eyed. He's seen it in his own son in Absalom. And so David said, I don't want this to be anywhere near me. My heart is not haughty nor mine eyes lofty. And he goes on to say, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Great matters. I love this. David did not have his head in the clouds. David was content as he could be with simple truths such as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Great matters. David, I do not believe, though I know he loved the law of God, he loved the word of God, he loved the testimonies of God, he loved the commandments of God, and all the many other names that he had for the word of God. I do not think David was one who was guilty of constantly trying to find deeper meanings in simple to understand passages. I've been around all too many people who are constantly looking past the simple truths of the Word of God for something richer and something bigger and something deeper. And and, uh, forgive me if some of these things have come out in conversation uh, with some of you throughout the week. It really has been on my heart, and I'm not saying some of these things based on our conversations. These are uh, topics that have... uh, have been rolling through my heart and mind anyway, and, and I just... 
I've spent time in the last couple of weeks with family who are guilty of this very thing. Their head is in the clouds. Something deeper has always got to be seen in the Bible. Someone told me that we actually have three eyes. That would be a strange deformity. That would be a triclops, I believe. And they said the third one is actually up in your brain somewhere and that Jesus was meaning that we're supposed to pluck it out. I do not think that's what the Bible means. Yeah. Can't possibly just mean don't let your eye be an offense to you. Me being me, I had to ask, well, pray tell, what is the third hand? Because he said, cut off your hand if it offend you. What's the secret meaning there? I've been around people who are always looking for deeper doctrines and they want to understand mysteries. And where there are no mysteries to understand, they create mysteries in the Word of God. They want to know all of the allegories of the Word of God. And where things are to be taken literally, they allegorize it because their head is in the clouds. They are exercising themselves in matters that are too great for them. And I bet David dealt with some in his day that were exactly the same. We have them in our day. We have them in our classrooms, our seminaries. Many of them are referred to as theologians and some of the sorriest doctrines that have ever come out of hell have come straight through the lips of theologians or so-called. This is true. I hope you will not get angry at me tonight. But... uh, where, where is the gap theory in the Word of God? Yeah. Deeper things. Oh, I understand deeper things. I'm not a simpleton, says so many people. I understand the way that this thing works. Worldly explanations such as gap theories or day-age theories or this one I know you've heard of, theistic evolution. And these are men who are educating themselves beyond their intelligence. But David says, that's not me. I know my place and I will not exercise myself in matters that are too great for me. I heard one time some man was so smart that he figured out that Israel actually did not cross over the Red Sea. But it was the Sea of Reeds, which actually is more like a very shallow, ankle-deep pond. And rather than God spreading the sea and allowing them to walk over on dry ground, that it actually was just the, uh, the earth convulsing from an earthquake a little while back, and the shock sent the water back, and they, they walked across it. And to that, the only thing I could say is, Man, that is a great miracle because God ended up drowning the whole Egyptian army in ankle-deep water. Those are men who are exercising themselves in things that are just... Do you understand there are things in the Word of God that must simply just be taken by faith? You're not going to explain the Trinity. Some of you don't even know what the hypostatic union of Christ is. You're not going to fully explain... How that he was all man and all God at the same time. 
There are mysteries in the Word of God that we cannot figure out. I do not understand all of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and how they mesh together perfectly and there is no contradiction in it whatsoever. I do not understand all of that. And if I could understand all that there was of God, I should be a God myself. Sometimes, brethren, It is so much better just with a simple childlike faith to take our hands and say, you know what, just let God be true and every man a liar. He said it and I believe it and it is that simple. And David is saying my heart is not so haughty that I have to have every answer to everything that there is to be known. Searching for answers, looking deeper. This could also mean, of course, I do not exercise myself in great matters or things too high for me that he is confessing that he is not constantly seeking for greater position or greater power. He is not trying to get out of his lane. He is trying to simply serve God in simplicity. He has seen the dangers of men getting out of their lane firsthand. He saw when King Saul decided to take upon him the priesthood. And act out of order with what God's place for him was. And it ended up costing him the kingdom. And I think David in wisdom took note and said, No, I will not exercise myself in things too high for me. He's not reaching out for things that are out of reach. Let me just say this. Many men have destroyed themselves and become most unuseful before God because with all of their efforts to be great, they have ceased to be good. David could have pushed the issue, determined to build the temple. He said, oh no, that's not what the Lord has for me. I will get things together. I will do as the Lord's told me and I will draw this out and map it out. I will be the architect of it as God has put it in my heart, but it's not for me to do. And there are so many things in life. Just simply do what God has for you to do. Do not exercise yourself in matters too high for you. God severally gives to one one talent and to another two talents and to another five talents and entrusts the individual to do with it what is right for His glory and His honor. That's the same for us. Just do what He's entrusted you to do. Be careful. Be careful that you do not reach for things that are higher than God anticipates or has for you to reach to. One man said that uh, this uh, reaching out into great matters or things too high was uh, uh, a great destroyer. He said the destroyer of good works is the ambition to do great works. Think about that for a moment. Be content to simply serve God according to His Word and how He lays it out for us. All of these pertain to the humility that the psalmist is speaking of. These are things we all need to get a hold of. But then he goes on in verse number 2 and he makes this statement and it really deals with contentment. I've used the word happiness because it starts with an H. Probably could have used the word hushed because he has quieted himself before the Lord. 
Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. And it certainly speaks of a happy ending. Not necessarily a happy exercise to get there. He likens his soul to that of a weaned child. My soul is even as. He gives this simile to us to bring our minds to a picture of the weaning process. Some have said this means that he is declaring that he is feasting on the meat now of God and the word of God and no longer the milk. I don't think that's what is meant right here. Someone else said that this means he is a babe no longer, but he is mature in God. And I'm, I think that that is part of it, that he has reached some maturity. Really what is being taught here is that David is stating his soul is in a state of contentment. He's happy where he's at. You see the relationship of this to the previous verse. He is content with what he has, content with who he is in God, content with what the Lord has given to him. In this is a picture of growth and a picture of learning contentment is a good simile for us. The mother and child relationship. I have two children and uh, I understand that not every woman is able to nurse their child and we were, we were blessed that Brandy was able to nurse Jeremy and to nurse Hope and uh, I hope this doesn't come across as vulgar in any way. I don't think it will. There is a special bond between mother and child during that nursing time. There really is. There are things that are necessary for the child, things that are physically necessary for the mother uh, during this uh, time in infancy when they are nursing, when they are upon their mother's breast. And it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I don't necessarily want to see it, I got on the airplane the other day and I, I was I found out that you can nurse or pump or anything else on an airplane and, and I, I just okay. Don't necessarily want to see it, but I know firsthand as a father, it is a beautiful thing. It is a closeness that God has given unto mother and child that it's it's remarkable. It's beautiful. It's natural. And there is a bond that is created before a mother, uh, by, uh, between a mother and her child during this time. And, and uh, the child learns that he can fully depend upon his mother. He learns that he has everything that he needs or she needs uh, simply by letting the mother know that he wants to engage in nursing again. Consider it all. It's not just food. What do mothers do? A child gets hurt, begins to cry. And uh, what does the mother do? She, she picks that child up and holds it close. It is a place of comfort. Again, please don't let this picture go in a direction it shouldn't go, okay? I'm trying to be careful with it. From the mother's perspective, there is self-sacrifice. takes time. I remember both of my children waking up in the middle of the night crying. And the only way they were going back to sleep is if they were nursed back to sleep. Sacrifice, it is love. It's nurture. It's comfort. 
It's a picture of protection, certainly a picture of provision, everything that's needed. picture of self-sacrifice in every part uh, from the mother. Even the very physical needs that she has for nutrients, those nutrients that she needs for herself are passed on to the child. It is self-sacrifice. And then picture it from the child's point of view and it is quite a different picture. There is this loud little needy creature that has entered into the woman's life. This child knows necessity. This child knows desire. This child knows want. And uh, it really is, if you consider it, it is a rather one-sided relationship, isn't it? You have one who is constantly giving and one who is constantly receiving. Now again, this is a simile that we can understand. The child of God, with God, the soul of an individual, with God who made the soul, gave the soul life. It's a one-sided relationship. And then it speaks of this one-sided relationship and there coming a time when it has to come to an abrupt stop. Now, I understand for most people, weaning is a very hard thing. I don't remember it myself, personally. <laughs> I do remember it with my children, and I will say that we prayed earnestly about it, and, and the Lord blessed us and made it an easier thing. It is a necessary process. Spurgeon said about it as one of the first difficulties that a child ever faces. And I think about that when I look at a child, a baby. They, they don't have much care in the world, do they? They're not like us. We have a million things that press on us every day. All kinds of cares, all kinds of worries. And if we don't have something to worry about, we'll come up with something to worry about. And uh, I, I love Brandy. I'm missing her. So you'll probably hear more about her tonight and Sunday because I, I'm thinking about her. But, but uh, I kind of joke about it because it could be a bright sunny day and she's talking about the rainy day that's forecasted two weeks ahead and, and uh, just creating things to worry about. Really, though, that's what we do. As people, that's what we do. We're like these greedy little takers that are constantly reaching up and saying, God, give, give, I need, I need, I need, I need, and always crying, fussing about something. And that's the picture here when you consider the weaning process. It is not a, a pretty picture. It, is, it goes from being a very beautiful thing, the child is happy, the child is content, and then all of a sudden, it's hungry, cries and it gets sat down in a high chair and it has something that is not very appealing shoved in its face on a little plastic spoon and and it doesn't know what to do and before he knows it that it is shoved into its mouth and it tastes it and it does not like it and it spits it out and begins to pitch a fit I know that doesn't represent any of us spiritually when things don't go our way But David, consider his life. He has had a multitude of things that have not gone his way whatsoever. Things that he's been helpless towards, things that he's had thrown upon him, 
things that He brings upon Himself. And all of those things no doubt could and do impact His relationship with God or His fellowship with God. But again, the weaning process, it is so necessary. The child rejects it. The child pitches fits. The child doesn't understand if we're being honest. I'm pretty certain that it's okay to say that uh, kids are dumb at least until they're a dozen years old. I'm joking. They don't understand. I'm, I'm told that uh, even the, the frontal lobe, no offense to the young men, but uh, if you're under 25, you just don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. You don't understand some things. <laughs> and uh, the, the truth is that children, they, they don't understand, and especially at this point in their life kid doesn't understand what's going on. All it knows is something's happening and it doesn't like it and it begins to respond in a way that it should not respond to it, right? Because those of us who are of age and we know, we look at it and we say, that needs to happen. That mother cares for that child. Mother's not hurting. That child's not going to starve to death. That mother is helping that child to mature and helping it to grow. But boy, that child doesn't like it. It becomes a battle of wills, doesn't it? And that child is going to fuss and make sure that it gets what it wants because that's what children do. But that mom is quite a bit more sovereign than that child is. Have you ever told your children, you're going to do what I tell you to do and you can do it the easy way or the hard way? I do that sometimes. I let my little girl, you would, I know that you all know that hope is an angel. There I go, I'm talking about him again. You know that she's an angel and that every time we say, now hope, go do this, she does it because preachers' families are perfect. <laughs> Amen, Pastor. <laughs> I've had to tell her on multiple occasions, you're going to do this. There are two choices. You can do it without a spanking or you can do it with a spanking, but one way or another, it's going to be done the way I said to do it. And it's going to be. And the reason is, is I have sovereignty in the situation. I'm bigger than she is. That is the same way it is with us and our God. He is bigger than you are. And if God intends for things to happen and come into your life, do you know what? You can kick and scream and spit it out on the high chair all you want to. You're going to take your medicine. That's God. But think also about the other parts of that. It's not just that He's sovereign and He pushes us and He could... He cares for us. Again, this process, though it is hard for the child, it is equally hard, probably harder for the mother. <laughs> the mother cares about the child. The child is not going to be hurt because it's going to be tended to by that mother one way or another. It's, it's in a place of safety. And God puts things in the lives of every one of us. And oftentimes we find ourselves as Christians, I know you probably don't ever do this. I've heard that people do this. They will say, I 
do not understand what the Lord is allowing in my life, why this is happening. And when they say that, they really are questioning the wisdom and the goodness of God unto them. That's what we do. Now again, the observer looks on. We know that that mother is wise. She knows when it's time. And God knows what is best for every last one of us. And this is a lesson David is saying, I have learned in my life. I have learned that it is best for God to have His way with me in every circumstance and in every situation. I have walked through difficult days and uh, hard battles and I have seen them through and on the other side of them, I could take a step back and look and say, you know what, I can see God's hand in every bit of this. And so David is saying the result of all this is that my soul is quiet before God. My soul is like a weaned child. It is a battle of wills when that mother is weaning that child. And it becomes such a battle of wills sometimes that the only thing that mother can do is take that child and put it in a room. She can't get through to it. It's not stopping. It's flinging itself. It's going to hurt itself with its behaviors. And all she can do is put it in a room and close the door and walk away for a little while until that child settles down. That child still wants what it wants. But there does come a point in the process when the fussing stops. Do any of you remember that? Are you guys awake tonight? And I believe something happens in that process that it's, I would sum it up like this. A child doesn't care anymore about what it's eating. That child just wants its mama back. And the relationship becomes what is so important to that child. They want the closeness. They want the intimacy. And it is amazing just immediately as the weaning process is going, there, there comes a point where the same breast that the child yearned after and fussed after and cried for, it can be brought with a tender embrace to the same breast of his mother and not think for one moment, you know, I need to have that again and start fussing all over again. David is saying, that's how it has been with me in my life. I am like a weaned child. I have learned to be content with God. Enough of the fussing about my circumstance and my troubles and my problems. My spirit has got quiet before God. The relationship is what matters the most. I wonder tonight if this has ever happened to you in your life. Where are you in this waning process, if I could call it that, or are you kicking and screaming and fussing against what God's putting upon you and putting in your life? Maybe, maybe it would be better to ask this question. Is there quietness in your spirit and in your soul this evening? Is there peace? Are you wrestling, kicking, going as hard as you can? Are you busy trying to figure it all out? Or have you taken your hands off and again, like the songwriter said, you have from self and sin ceased and you have given yourself into the hands of a wise God and a wise Father and a wise Savior and you are at perfect rest with Him. Amen. Is there such a place? 
Many of our songwriters seem to think so. There's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin does not molest near to the heart of God. I didn't bring it up here. I did dog ear the page in the songbook. I'll fix it. But the song, Be Still My Soul, the Lord is on thy side. Is there not a place where we can in total dependency lay ourselves at the feet of God and say, you do what you want to do with me because you know what is best and you mean me well. A weaned soul. This again, it is a song of contentment. And the child gets to a place where it is content with whatever its mother wants to give him. Relationship matters the most. It is a quietness that has been achieved. And I wrote this in my note. This, hang on just a second. This is pretty deep. We are so noisy. We're just very noisy. Constantly running around. Constantly trying to fix our own problems. Men constantly defend themselves. We try to vindicate ourselves. We try to fight our own battles. But the weaned soul says the battle is the Lord's. Yes. He'll do the fighting for me. The weaned soul says God knows what is best. All the things with David you could consider, the different plagues that came upon his life, even cursings at the uh, mouth from the mouth of those that were his subjects, and he could look at them and say, you know what, this may be that the Lord has brought this upon me. And He'll do me good through it. Anxiety. Any of you familiar with anxiety? I know none of you are. There, was, there were some Christian people years ago. It's been a long time. But they had anxieties. I think it all got ironed out. But they did. And they had to be told to be careful for nothing. To be anxious over nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with giving of thanks to let their requests be made known unto God. And it said that the end result of that, if they weren't all anxious, that, that there was this place of quiet rest near to the heart of God where, where, where they could come across this great thing. It's called peace that passeth all understanding. I know we've all had that for a long time now. And the church as a whole has. That was way back when the Philippians were still alive. Anxieties, fears, struggles over the past. Any of you have any of those things? Wrestle with that. Worries about the future. Are any of you guilty of making plans? We are like this child. We want our will. We want what we want. Isn't that right? We often simply want what we want when we want it. But again, the child does not have the understanding that the mother has. It doesn't grab all of it. It doesn't have it all figured out. It doesn't see the end of this process from the beginning. <laughs> Mom knows where she's going with this thing. 
And so the simile teaches us that we are to rely upon God, that He knows what He is doing with us in every way and in every regard and in every action that He has towards us, every circumstance that He puts in our life. And so we are told truths like this, that all things work together for our good if we love God and we are the called according to His purpose. For the child, if you could speak to it, it probably doesn't speak English because it's still young. But if you could speak to it, you'd tell it, just quieten down. God's got a hold of this. There's nothing that is going to harm you through all of this. It is simply best and easiest if you will submit. Submit to what the Lord has. And so a question is asked tonight, are you a weaned soul? Are you in the process? <laughs> Has God brought you to a place where you've turned loose of many things and said, you know what's best and I trust you to do what's best? Again, it is a picture of submission. People come to church. They come and church makes them feel good. Have any of you been there? There are people all over the world that go to church because of how it makes them feel about themselves. And sometimes they come and for a period of time they hear the Word of God and it feels good. They feel like they're doing right. They feel like they're a better person now because they are going to church. And then all of the sudden... They hear something and it grabs them right here and begins to convict their heart. And it doesn't feel good. And do you know what they usually do? And they fight against it and they spit it out like the sucking child that's in the weaning process. They don't like it. This is not what they signed up for. They don't understand it. This isn't feeling good. And so a lot of times what they do is they, they go down the road somewhere else. <laughs> somewhere where they won't feel that anymore. But you know it is just simply best to submit. Conviction is not a pleasant thing, but I'm going to tell you it brings about the peaceable fruits of righteousness when you repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. When you submit yourself to His drawing and He brings you to Himself and all of the sudden, as the songwriter said, fears are stilled and striving cease and you understand the depths of love that God has for your soul and then you're probably like the rest of us. You start kicking yourself and thinking, why did, why did I not give in to this earlier? This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I'm saved. Going to heaven, my sins are forgiven. Why did I kick against God? He was only trying to love me. Yes. So much better to submit. You know, as Christians, we would tell anyone here tonight that's lost, if you are in that process, that conviction where God has taken away the feel good from church, and now you're just not come to Christ. Oh, amen. Not a soul in here that is saved would say, you know, I'm glad that I spent all the time that I did lost. Every one of us who are saved, we're just 
Oh, I wish I'd known it at 12. I wish I'd known it at 7. I wish I'd known it at 6. I wish I did not have the scars that I have in my past. I wish that I had always been saved. It's so wonderful. So much better just to submit. I don't want to stray too far away from the simile. Uh, I like milk in my cereal. It's even good in a bowl of ice cream. It is. And if you can eat it fast enough and you get some of those Nabisco Nilla wafers and put them in a bowl and pour some, you got to eat it fast because they get soggy. I still like milk a little bit. Man, I am so glad that I'm still not eating nothing but milk. And I get to enjoy steak and hamburgers and all of those things that have made me into the man that I am today. We all look at it and we're like, this, this needed to happen. I'm glad it happened. It would be really odd to see people in here on their phone with their mother because they're old enough now to have a cell phone and yelling at her that they want milk still. <laughs> Submission is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I would encourage you tonight, quit fighting against God. And if you are in that place where God has made you uncomfortable, quit fighting against Him. It's like one person told me one time, Preacher, you got all over my toes. My toes hurt. You got all over my toes. Get on your knees. It'll relieve the pressure. Yes. You stepped on my toes. Well, I missed the mark. I wanted to hit your heart. Submit to the Lord. He means to do you good. Yes. His drawing upon you is not to do you harm. It's to forgive you. Give you eternal life. Give you what this world has never offered you. Peace and joy and love shed abroad in your heart. Submit to Him. And then I think about us. I I better wrap this up. I feel like I've been uh, in a little... uh, I've been in deep mud a little bit. Are you guys okay with me? If, if we're not, somebody grab the toe strap and hook it up to me. <laughs> Get me out of here. God's people, we have circumstances that come in our lives and we don't understand it. People tell us different things about being a Christian. We get ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And there is joy and there is peace, but there are struggles along the way. And sometimes God deliberately puts struggles in our way and in our our path to help us along the way, to cause us to grow, to get us away from just being a bunch of babies on milk and and teach us to rely upon Him for milk or or for meat rather and to get us to a place of maturity where we can grow more, grow closer to Him. Maybe that's you. Your circumstances tonight have been unfavorable in your eyes. You don't understand why things are going the way they're going. And you're just, you are so noisy trying to fix it all and going crazy this way and that way. You need to rest in the Lord and let Him handle the things that you are not capable of handling. Amen. Trust Him in the process. Turn loose of the controls. John Newton wrote a song. It actually was a poem that was turned into a song. And I don't know if I've 
read this here before or not. I have read it in a few places, but I, I remember when I first came across it, I was, I was, I think I was spitting some stuff out on the high chair. Wasn't liking it a whole lot. There were things going on in my heart. There were seasons of darkness, and I just didn't like it. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want it. Fought against it. Tried to handle things on my own and do it all. And, and it seemed that in that time, just like at other times in my life, God gave me songs in the night. He gave me a song. I don't even remember how I came across this, but I want to read it to you. And uh, Brother Steve, you forgive me. I read it to you in the truck today. I told you these things have just been my mind. Newton wrote this psalm. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. Have you guys ever asked the Lord for something like that? I think as Christians we all have. Lord, I want to be closer. I want to grow. Well, Newton said, here was what happened. He said, "'Twas He who taught me thus to pray, and He I trust has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once He'd answer my request and by His love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? "'Tis in this way the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me.'" That's a good song. And I believe it is the testimony of every one of us who in some measure or another have grown in grace in the Lord Jesus. He's put things in our life and challenged us in ways that we know in and of ourselves we, we couldn't have handled and couldn't have made it through, but He brought us through it and He helped us and through it all He's given us more of a story to tell of His grace and His power in our lives and what He's done in our lives and, and He has made us at least a little bit more in these years of serving Him and knowing Him and walking Him. He has made us at least a little bit more more like Him, which is the end goal anyway. The goal of this mother is not that this child will be a child forever, but that it will grow up into maturity. And the goal of our God is this. He is so pleased with His Son, the Lord Jesus, that He wants every last one of us who name His name to look like Him. In fact, it says it like this, one of our words. He hath predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His dear Son, and His dear Son, our Lord Jesus, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So do not be surprised at all if sorrows and grief sometimes are the spoon that God feeds you with. 
But he does not mean to do you harm. He is doing it for your good. He is doing it to help. He is doing it to shape you into what he wants you to be. Read the testimony of an older preacher. He was said to be an older preacher. I don't know what that means. <laughs> some, some define it differently. But he, he said that he felt even in his older years that the words didn't really apply to him, but rather one word should be changed. It shouldn't have been that he was as a weaned soul or a weaned child, but he was as a weaning child. And I think that probably is more accurate for me tonight. I've learned lessons, but I have to learn them over and over again. I've been brought to places of quiet where I quit kicking and fussing and trying to have my way. And it seems that I still have to go through that process again and again sometimes. But where are we in the process? Are you being weaned? Are you in the weaning process? Are you in the kicking process still fighting against all that God is doing in your heart? Again, this is a song of contentment. And the contentment we find as the people of God is simply this, that we submit ourselves to His all-wise, all-kind, and all-loving hand. And we trust Him in everything. Can I say this to you tonight and I'll close. It is safe for you to trust Him. You listening to me? He is not a God who is playing tricks with any one of us. It is safe for you to trust the Lord Jesus. He means to do you well. It may not feel that way always and it may not seem that way. But He means you well. He is a good God. He is a loving Savior. Just as you could say to the child, listen, stop, it's your mother loves you. What she's, it's, it's okay. You're safe trusting her. Just trust Him. It is safe to put yourself into the hands of God. A weaned soul. I sure like the thought of quietness, don't you? And I believe that is available for every one of us. Pastor, if you will come. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truths of it, the experiences we've had as Your child. Thank You that we can look back and realize no matter the circumstance, no matter the hardship, that Your hand was not only guiding, but it was strengthening and holding us up to make it through. And Lord, we look to You tonight and ask You to help us Help us to not be so noisy. Help us to be still before You. And I pray, Lord, that in that state that we might find Your power to be real. And uh, Lord, that we would find contentment in whatever it is You're doing in us. Draw upon hearts. Teach us afresh tonight that we can trust in You entirely. Thank You for Your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, thank You. Please stand. We'll have our pianist and organist come. I would hate to say anything at this point to in some way diminish or hurt the, uh, uh, the message, the, the meaning of the, the message. 
and that includes how do we can how, how do we conclude the service do we simply say thank you lord and walk away do we, do we sing a hymn what what sort of hymn should we sing things that i struggle with please turn to number 229 i don't know if this is appropriate or not i pray that it will be i have peace peace wonderful peace Far away, they're problems. Sometimes they're not so far away. Sometimes they're right there in the middle of your heart. 229, wonderful peace. Fulton, would you dismiss this, please? Heavenly Father, thank you.